My name is Erica Angus, and I acknowledge the Indigenous nations upon whose territory we work to enrich and entertain our community. For more than 15,000 years, the First Nations peoples have walked upon and cared for the lands we now call home. The Anishinaabe, Haudenosaunee, Ojibwe, and many others cared for their families and communities the way we seek to care for ours today. And on these lands, generations told their stories. Theater Collingwood acknowledges the Lake Simcoe Nottawasaga Treaty of 1818 and respects all of the nation-to-nation -nation agreements that have formed relationships with the original inhabitants of Turtle Island. We acknowledge the reality of our shared history and the current contributions of Indigenous people within our community and beyond. We acknowledge that this is only one aspect of our sincere commitment to reconciliation and to building a new and respectful relationship with the First Nations peoples. We seek to make amends and to not just talk about it, but to sincerely do better. And we are filled with gratitude. Welcome to Stage Whispers, the podcast about theatre in Central Ontario. I'm Nancy Chapel. I'm Trudy Romanek. And I'm Kevin Scarf. And today, on this second Friday of the month, we bring you our latest interview episode. Featuring a chat with some of the creative and inspiring people working in theatre today. Hello, everybody. It's Nancy here at Stage Whispers Podcast, and I am really excited to have with me today for episode 42, airing on September the 9th, Erica Angus. Welcome. Well, thank you. I'm very excited to be here. I've been listening to your podcast, and now I get to be on one. And, and you know what? It's an overdue invitation, so we're delighted to have you here. Uh, so before we get started, I'm going to tell everybody a little bit about you. Uh, Erica Angus joined Theatre Collingwood in 2013 as Executive Director. Uh, prior to working for Theatre Collingwood, Erica was the Associate Producer for Theatre by the Bay in Barrie. Now, Erica has a wealth of experience in the arts and culture sector as well. She was a board member for Tourism Barrie for six years, uh, and her her special focus there was marketing and collaborating with hoteliers, restaurants, and the arts community to attract tourists. Uh, she also had a, a big hand as a founding member of Barry's Lawn Chair Luminata, which is an arts festival up in Barry, and was on the Downtown Community Theatre Advisory Group, where she was instrumental in the development of the Mady Centre for the Performing Arts, which is now known as Four Points Theatre. Five points. There's more than four points. There's five points. Five points theater. Uh, she coordinated a very highly successful program that also toured the region to over 25 schools each year. And it was all about teaching students about the works of William Shakespeare. Have I have I pretty much hit all the high notes? I'm tired just hearing about that, all of that. <laughs> Actually, it's a, you know, it's been a blast. It's been a blast. Uh, working in the arts has, has, you know, challenges, but I think in the most, uh, in the main, it really does tend to be something that can be very, very rewarding and fulfilling. And I'm glad to hear that that's been your experience. Thank you. Yes, it, it's true. You know, because I think that uh, we don't, we don't, you know, maybe sometime there's some money involved with it, but we don't do it for the money. You got to do it for the love of it, and uh, and you know that that gives us a really 
interesting life when you're doing something for the love of it and not for the money of it. So, so then you were at theater by the Bay and then you moved to theater Collingwood. So what prompted that move? Well, I, I should first say too, that I was so lucky to be at theater by the Bay in the early days of theater by the Bay, because, um, you know, Larissa Mayer uh, and Nick Bailey founded that company and, Uh, it was a really magical time. They had this vision of sort of creating a Shakespeare company like Stratford. And uh, we would, you know, every summer, we had the best marketing tool going because we would have to put a tent up in the summertime. There's a tent theater company. When people saw the tent being built in the summer, they knew it was time to buy tickets. Mm -hmm. And we had phenomenal uh, actors. It was just, I I learned so much from them and it it was really, really great. At the time that I, I decided it was time to sort of challenge myself in a different way, the company was in transition. It was changing and that's all good. I mean, you know, theater companies need to change and evolve and get fresh blood And we'd gone through a couple of years of um, struggles in a way, just trying to figure out where we were going with the company. And and I think I just really felt like it was time to have a new challenge. And so um, uh, I had just finished working a year with Scott Hurst as artistic director there. And of course, I absolutely adore Scott and had an amazing time with him. And that was a great experience. But I decided that it was probably time to leave. And so I, I... left. And then I thought that might've been a mistake (laughs) (laughs) because there's not a lot of jobs in what I do. And I got some amazing, uh, I don't know, encouragement from Kwame Williams, who was the uh, director of culture for Barry at that time. And mm-hmm. I went to him to find out, okay, now what do you do when, when you're looking for a job that there aren't too many of them? And he, he said to me, he, he gave me a really amazing compliment because he said, I'm not at all questioning whether or not you'll get hired. It's just when. So his advice to me was to continue to book appointments as though I was working with people who were in the arts and understood me and believed in me and keep to keep my spirit up, you know? So I did that. I went home and I made little coffee appointments with everyone. And that proved to be a really great thing because Renee Cingolani, who's a musical director, in uh, Barrie and the surrounding area, mm-hmm. uh, had done some work with Theatre Collingwood. And uh, when she realized that I, I was not with Theatre by the Bay anymore, she said to me, you know, there's this position coming available at Theatre Collingwood, and I think you're perfect for it. So she really was the catalyst uh, for me to reach out to Theatre Collingwood. I went through the in- interview process. And the the idea of being able to go in and really um, sort of remold the company because Theatre Collingwood was also going through transition was quite interesting to me. So it was a good move. I, I, I love what I do and, and I'm really glad I took that risk. Good happenstance that, that uh, uh, the, the stars aligned. If, if, you're a, <laughs> if, if you're a team player, let's say in the arts, you, you know, you don't want to be that person that goes and steals someone from someone somewhere else. So you're not, you're not reaching out to people that you think you are are necessarily employed. So, Mm -hmm. so uh, that network when I was searching was, was really helpful. And, and uh, it led me to what I really consider my dream job. 
So the inevitable question that we ask all our interviewees is, like everyone in the arts, uh, this past two years plus has brought so many challenges to the arts communities. But it's also brought, I think, uh, it's given us a way to rethink how we do, and I'm using air quotes there, theatre and the arts. So what changes has the pandemic sparked at Theatre Collingwood? And how do you envision that things will continue to operate differently, maybe not differently, even after we, I know we're trying to return to some semblance of normal, but we know it's not. We know it's not normal. Numbers are down. People are still reluctant to come to the theater. There's, you know, there's still that virus circulating out there. So tell us a bit about the changes that it prompted and kind of where does that leave Theater Collingwood going forward in terms of either keeping those changes in place or making some more changes? Right, right. I, I think it's a great question. I'll, I'll be honest with you. It's a it's a topic that I hope we don't have to talk about forever and ever and ever. Um, I keep saying, you know, as we're putting marketing products out, like, let's not, uh, let's stop talking about how difficult the last two years mm-hmm. were. We all know, we all had a really difficult time. So uh, let's just welcome people back. The pandemic, you know, <sighs> has had a profound effect on, um, on the industry. And in some ways, I mean, I, I really believe in the end, we're going to feel it was for the better. And I'll try to explain why that was. It, w- it was very difficult. I remember March 13th, 2020, like it was yesterday, because we, were, we had a board meeting. And we knew, you know, something was in the air and, and uh, we were going to probably close down for, for a couple of weeks. And uh, I remember that meeting so, so well. And then the very essence of what we all do, we, we gather people together to tell stories, was no longer possible. So not only could we not do what we do, the people that I work with and that I associate with and that I know have long-term friendships with, I'm sure you went through this too, were all unemployed and were suffering, really, really suffering. And that was so tragic and, and could be, you know, incredibly depressing because anyone you were going to talk to was really going through bad things. Not to take away from the fact that, you know, the rest of the world was also suffering, but the essence of what we do in, in the arts uh, was really profoundly affected by it. So what we had to do, so we were entering into a season where we had already sold subscriptions, uh, which was a five play package that people had uh, purchased. And we also had sold advertisements for our playbill that we hand out at shows. So now we didn't have a show. We, we couldn't, we couldn't, provide shows for people to use their subscriptions for and we didn't have shows to hand playbills out at so all that advertising what are we going to do so uh, we did the giant pivot really giant pivot and it and it was inspiring because first of all we reached out to all of our subscribers and we kind of gave them three well we gave them three options we said you can turn your subscription into a donation with a tax receipt. You can put it in your theater Collingwood bank and use it for tickets in the future. Uh, Or we can refund your money. 
And 95% of our subscriptions were turned into donations, which was huge. And it, it really, you know, was so rewarding and just inspiring to think that people believed in, in what we were doing to the point where they would turn their subscriptions into donations. And we had some really, really bizarre conversations because people, there were people who are in our audiences who are are quite senior. And they were saying, you know what, when this is all over, I don't know if I'll be able to go back to theater. So I'm just going to give you this money. It it was incredible. So, So that was step one. And then we went out to the advertisers and we said, okay, so we cannot uh, provide you uh, advertisement in a playbill to, that we're going to hand out, but we're going to do something better. We're going to put together an online magazine form of a playbill. Mm-hmm. And I went out and I had uh, colleagues of mine in the industry write articles. And so it became a little bit more of a magazine. Um, we would be able to promote this through our social media. We would send it out through our data bank. And what we did was encourage the advertisers to understand that this was no longer going to be a playbill that someone leaves in their seat at the theater, but it was something that we were going to be able to push out for the next 12 months or however long Mm -hmm. and um, really promote. We hyperlinked their ads to their websites. Mm -hmm. And we'd also be able to tell them the analytics of it, which you can't necessarily do with a playbill that you hand to someone. And they loved it. And what that ended up doing was all those advertising dollars um, went directly to us rather than paying for printing a playbill. So right. to put a playbill online costs next to nothing. Right. You know? uh, so that was really, really beneficial. Um, we did some other things. We, we uh, I, I hate to say it, but we immediately packed up our office and moved to an office that was a third of the price of where where we had our box office, right? So that wasn't easy. I mean, we just had to roll up our sleeves and and do that. Um, So those things sort of saved us. But what we also got from the pandemic was the gift of time and the time to think about what we were doing as a company, as artists, as creative thinkers, as um, maybe the voice for the community, I'm not sure, um, storytellers, what, what were we doing and what was, what was important to us? And at the same time, I mean, not to get too philosophical, but the entire world was sort of thinking that way. So we started, you know, to, at, at, at that same point, we were, we had the Me Too you movement that was happening and, and we were starting to become more aware of um, accessibility and diversity and the importance that the people on the stage reflect the people that are in the audiences so that people, you know, everyone in the audience can feel like they're seeing themselves uh, reflected on the stage. Normally, and I mean, you know this, we're, we're a very minimal staff and we don't have a whole lot of time to think about anything outside of what we're doing at that exact moment. Yeah. So, so this gave us the time to do that. And as a company, and I have an amazing board of directors who I, I value so much, an incredible team of staff. You know, we decided to do things in a different way. We decided that we weren't going to work in spaces that weren't accessible and not just accessible for audience members, but that 
they were accessible for performers as well, because there are, there are performers who have accessibility issues. Mm-hmm. Um, we decided we wanted, we were very concerned about the effects of the pandemic on our senior, more mature audience members. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to um, develop some programming that would really focus on them when we could come back together and, and that developed a future education program. So, I, I mean, it gave us, I know that's a lot of information, but it, it really gave us time to think about who we were and to put that down into a plan. I, I think a lot of people went that route as well. I know thing, people like, you know, in Stratford and Shaw, and as you say, looking at the diversity piece of things uh, and and how do we represent our audiences better on the stage? Uh, because face it, I mean, there's a lot of white people in the theater. Yeah, <laughs> there's yeah, a lot and, of and, white and, people and a lot of white men running the theaters. And so yeah, it's absolutely. nice. It, you're quite right. I think that it's given this, this jolt and this opportunity. And we don't always have that gift of time for planning. And, and it's lovely to see. And you guys really have done a fantastic job of that, clearly. Well, thank you. Thank you. And, and we've worked really, really hard at it. I mean, uh, we also made a decision not to uh, focus too much on doing online uh, shows. I really felt in my heart of heart that what we did was live entertainment. That was that was what we were all about, and and uh, I didn't really want to become good at doing online entertainment. There were some things, um, you know. We started um, weekly Zoom interview yeah, session. Yeah, those were we those were just great. To, just yeah. to connect people so that you know our patrons would feel like like uh we were still caring about them because you know it's interesting in in the theater industry, I think most people in theater would feel the same way. Um we're really connected to our audiences. People don't I know people order more online now than they used to, but there's a lot of phone calling. I make uh, I really try very hard to be at most of our shows and to be at the door and to be uh, welcoming people and appreciating them because hey, you know, people have a lot of a lot of options on what to spend their money on. So I really mm. appreciate when they come out to our shows. So so I care about them. I know a lot of our audience members and we wanted to do things that would, would keep them connected. And, you know, in our newsletters, we were sending them all sorts of little uh, YouTube links and things to watch. And, and, you know, that's another thing that I think was huge about the pandemic. And that was that people could not help but realize that the way I believe we survived through this was because of the artists in our lives. It was the music. It was the the um, uh, Netflix shows we were watching. Mm-hmm. It was maybe a great uh, book we were reading. It was the creative people that helped all of us survive through this incredible feeling of isolation, right? Mm-hmm. And so at no other time, I think, could we value um, creative thinkers as much, I don't think, or should we have valued them as much? And I hope that that lingers on, that people really realize that, you know, um, you don't have to be a sports person, you don't have to be a hospital person, you know what, you can be it all. Mm-hmm. You can love sports and you can love artists mm-hmm. and you can care about your community's infrastructure and all of that's all really important um, to help us have a full life, you know? 
And one of the things that came out of, again, I think out of your, your planning and your, your, your creativity was the very successful porch sign festival. And in 2021, you, you started this again, sort of midway through the pandemic, but it was wonderful because it was outdoors, small audiences, people could distance. Um, and as long as the weather gods smiled on you, which I think they did for the most part, uh, it was extremely successful. So how how did that come out of your thinking and your planning? Uh, what kind of response did you get to it? And and were there any, did you make any changes for this season? Because you've had, you know, part two, number two of, of Portside Festival just wrap up this past summer. Portside Festival is the most fun thing I've ever done. And I often say at, to the staff, okay, all I want to do from now on is, is entertain people on porches. It's the most fun thing in the world. So it, I have to give uh, credit to uh, the Canadian Stage Company because they started a uh, series. So a lot, of this, a lot of this happened because we were all trying to find ways for artists to have some money. You know, it was it was desperate times. So Can Stage started um, what was called Porch Songs. And they would, if you if you were living in Toronto and you wanted to have a musician come and perform on your porch, I think it was $350, that musician would come perform. You could listen to them or you could open it up to some of your neighbors. And, and uh, it was during the pandemic. And a really dear friend of mine, Chris Suchiuchi, who is a... a fantastic musician and musical director uh, was doing it. He was, he was one of the artists and, and really happy to be doing it and getting some money. And um, I was really, I was really taken aback by that and um, uh, said to him, like, I, I need you to ask Ken stage, like, are they okay if I kind of manipulate this idea a little bit? Because what I, what was, Coming clear to me was a couple of things. First of all, in Collingwood, as in many, many small towns, many towns, uh, there's an incredible amount of historic homes that um, Collingwood really values. They have a huge historical society and, and these beautiful porches that are just magnificent, you know. And so I started to think, well, what if, what if we paid an artist $1,500 to come and stay overnight with us. And in those two days, they would do a show in the evening and they would do a matinee the next day and a show the next evening. So they'd be with us for two days. We'd, we'd have to uh, put them up in a hotel because we couldn't, we couldn't billet them, right? Nobody was taking actors in. And if it was more than one performer, we'd pay each one of them $1,500, which at that time was like, like good money to make for two days work, right? And um, I reached out to the community and it was a, I started driving around and looking at people's yards that I Who's this creepy lady looking at in. my porch? <laughs> I know. it was. So, when I think back at it, it's so bizarre when I'm knocking on people's doors and saying, so I have this idea. Um, and so... I, I, I landed nine porches that we would do this and we would do it over a two week period. Each show would be at the one porch for the three performances. And that would give us 27 performances and truly a festival. People would bring their lawn chairs. And, uh, and then I reached out to 
the arts community and the people that I know, and they loved it. And, and because nobody was working, the caliber of talent was unbelievable that we were, that we were getting in, that we're just saying, yes, Eric, I'd love to come up. That's awesome. I'm there. Um, we wrote, reached out to our hoteliers who helped us with, with um, uh, hotel rooms for the artists um, you know, you can't you can't really pay for a festival on 25 ticket sales at each show like you just can't. But because we were doing that, we could reach out to other granting organizations and say, look, at help us to employ these artists and also to um, bring this sort of uh, entertainment and happiness to the community. So it went extremely well. People loved it. I had people saying, I feel like I'm floating as I leave because remember our audience is, it's a great way to get an audience. They haven't done anything for, they've been cooped up in their houses and they Mm -hmm. loved it. And so it was totally successful. And uh, really what I felt was that this, this has legs. This is really, this is really, really special. The shows were an hour long. We had to think of a lot of logistics because, you know, um, the homeowners didn't want us to bring porta potties in. I learned one thing, and that was that people don't like porta potties in their yards. I had no idea. So, uh, but we couldn't let the guests go into the houses. So we figured, okay, an hour, an hour people can do without using a washroom. Um, anyways, lo- lots of things to think about. We we were rained out, I think, a one performance. I think that was it. Mm-hmm. And everything went well. So we go through the year and I have this idea, okay, we're opening up a little bit. Everything I had read and researched about how to survive after a crisis like a pandemic is that um, you know, the successful companies will do robust programming when they come back. So I thought, okay, we'll extend the Porchside Festival. We'll now have 13 locations, which means 39 performances in the month of July. And it was incredibly successful, but it almost killed us because that's a lot of shows yeah. <laughs> and a lot of performers. Yeah. Um, but we yeah. did it and everybody had fun. We were able to open up you know, more seats. So on average, we had um, 50 tickets sold to each show. Uh, we had said we'd do a maximum of 75. Uh, some shows were a little lighter than that and some were a little heavier than that. So we averaged out at about 50 uh, at each show. We launched the mm-hmm. festival with um, a free performance on Canada Day of uh, Shipyard Kitchen Party down by uh, the amphitheater, and that really just sent the whole fe- festival soaring. What a great way to, to kick it off. So, I mean, maybe you can't tell me because you haven't maybe announced what you're planning for next year, but are you able to tease us and let us know? Does does this look like this is coming back in the summer of 2023? Yeah, so I can tell you that for sure the Porchside Festival will be back in 2023. Um, we definitely want to continue with it. I think I am going to reel it back a little bit because I think a month long was... Uh, a lot of work for, as I say, sort of a minimal staff, but we'll, we'll see how that 
goes. Um, and again, like we, we had incredible support, corporate support as well. Um, so I, I, they just love what it is we're doing. And even the hotels love it. And, you know, the restaurants are doing packaging with it. Um, so I, I think it's really got legs. So we'll do that. And um, as well as that, of course, we also do run a subscription series we were able to this year. So uh, hopefully we will be able to next year as well. I see why you're attracted to doing nothing but Portside Festival. That's right. And, you know, people love to hear about the porches and the porch owners as well. That's part of the fun thing about it, because some of these houses have amazing histories or, you know, we do use um, new homes as well, and they have amazing stories. So so we always started off with a a story about the home and the homeowners. And it's a lovely combination of of sort of, you know, the the architectural arts as well as the uh, the performing arts sort of marrying together. Very cool. Well, and if I could also add, Nancy, that um, we, during the pandemic, uh, a group of us in in, uh, South Georgia Bay started something called the South Georgia Bay Arts Network. And it was really um, a way to help each other through this difficult time. So it started out as a Wednesday morning coffee chat. And it has developed into something so special and I've connected with so many visual artists. So that's an, another element of the Porchside Festival is we uh, try to have a visual artist at each performance. Mm. So they set up their art and people are introduced to them and the type of art that they're doing. And it's a great sort of collaboration between uh, different forms of art. What a great idea. Now, because you've had the, the the good fortune to be able to move a lot of your stuff onto the multitude of amazing porches in, in Collingwood, you did have a bit of a hiccup back a couple of years back where you've had some challenges re- related to a permanent uh, arts space. So how uh, how is that going to, or has it been has it been resolved to your satisfaction? And if not, how how will that affect your ability to deliver programming? Yeah. So uh, before the pandemic, uh, we were doing uh, most of our work at the Gaiety Theatre in Collingwood, and it was it was a difficult space to work at for many reasons. Uh, but one was that we felt strongly about the fact that it was not accessible. If people were to come in and had accessibility issues, um, there had been a a bar put into the space, um, a lounge, and it made it that they could no longer access the accessible washroom, which kind of, you know, blew my mind. Mm -hmm, I can understand mm -hmm. how that makes sense in this day and age. And and I, I really feel strongly about that that we are in 2022 and someone with accessibility issues shouldn't have to come in the side door and shouldn't have to uh, not be able to get up on the stage and shouldn't have not be able to get to the accessible washroom. And so uh, my board uh, felt strongly and I felt strongly and we left uh, the theater, Mm -hmm. which meant Mm -hmm. that we were a theater company that was homeless. (laughs) So we started performing at different locations and we used church halls and uh, other halls. And um, uh, there's a wonderful little space up in Clarksburg called the Marsh Street Center that I absolutely adore. Um, uh, So we use that. We use First Presbyterian Church all over the place. And um, 
Uh, there is also a space in Collingwood called the Simcoe Street Theatre, which is a little 100-seat black box theatre. So we started to do some work there. Again, 100 seats is difficult for us on major produ- productions to uh, be able to pay the bills. We, we've made it work. We've uh, done a lot of traveling around. It is a lot of work because every space that we go to, we create a theater. So sometimes we we would use uh, Blue Mountain and we'd have to go into a, a hall and uh, create a theater, stage, lighting, um, curtains, everything, right? So anyways, uh, we've continued though, and that's been fine, but always with the idea that South Georgian Bay and specifically Collingwood, was at the right time, it is the right time for an art centre to be built. Um, You know, Collingwood is now a four-season tourism destination, and it does not have a proper um, arts and culture centre. And yet, it is absolutely jam-packed with artists that and uh, creative people and also you know a lot of people moving there who are used to being able to go to an art center and would like to have one there so while we're running around creating entertainment spaces throughout the county uh, we're involved with a, uh, a group of people who have worked tirelessly for four years to uh, motivate the town to uh, start the process of building an arts culture and entertainment center. And I'm so thrilled to say that um, there was a feasibility study done, which really was pushed because of this group of people. And it came back extremely positive, showing that, yes, it is feasible to support an art center uh, located in Collingwood. And what's happening right now is there's a second phase going on to determine the size and the location of the art center. But our hope is that this will be a flexible space and that it will have theater, but it will also have visual artists there. It will have education programs and be a community hub. And um, I'm very excited about it. And I think they're really on board. They've, they've put $150,000 into this feasibility study. So I think that's a commitment And everything seems to be pointing towards this being doable within the next five years. So uh, fingers crossed, Theatre Collingwood will have a home. (laughs) I hope more communities start to go that way. I think so. I think so. And I think, you know, also the culinary arts has become so popular in the last 10 years or so. And so I see that as being something interesting that could Mm. be combined Mm. in there. And then, and then the what we hope is that it will be in the in the, in the downtown area, and that will also um, help the restaurants downtown and the shops downtown and everything. So, um, and we also know, like uh, you know, Blue Mountain uh, people that go to Blue Mountain, they have so much to do it there. It's lovely. But Blue Mountain has even said to us that, you know, on day three or so, people are looking for something else to do. So wouldn't it be great if they could also come to this art center and then go back to Blue Mountain? So there's there's a, a lot of potential for it. And um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. And I, I can't retire till I find a home for Theatre Collingwood. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's good to hear. And I'm sure Theatre Calling would, would not want you to, to pull the plug on it until that's that's done. So what 
plans do you have to keep the creativity flowing at Theatre Collingwood? And if you're not giving away the farm, can you tell us a little bit about what we can expect um, for you for, uh, for next season and uh, and beyond? Right. Well, I, I, I'd like to touch on the education program to start out with, because that's something that I think has just been amazing. We knew we always did programs for children, but I had this uh, feeling that, you know, when you live a long life and you're a mature individual, you've got a lot of stories to tell. And so Scott Hurst and I got together and developed this program of uh, offering a course for seniors to come in and and learn how to tell their their stories effectively. And we thought we'd get 10 students. And when we got up to 30, we decided it was time to to stop taking admission. So we did did three classes of 10. It was really, really successful. It was the first time we'd ever done anything. The, The people were amazing. The stories that came out of it were unbelievable. And so we're developing that going into the fall. We're offering um, sort of a storytelling 2.0 for those who have already taken the course. And then we're also uh, starting a writing program for seniors. We're also doing an acting program for seniors and not necessarily that you ever end up doing a play. It's, you know, gosh, I always, always wanted to be able to try acting, something like that, right? So um, we're going in that direction. We are also eventually that program is going to go into some, um, into a singing program, a musical program so that people can try their hand at that. So I'm very excited about what we're doing with seniors, but we've got two of those courses starting um, in the fall with Scott again, and then we'll do some other courses in the spring. Um, I can't really tell you about what shows we're doing next year, but I, I, because we're not quite there yet. It was interesting last year. I normally have my, um, my programming done by October so that we can start uh, uh, marketing it. Um, last year was totally different because nobody in the industry knew if they could do anything or what they were doing. So we were way into the new year. Gosh, it was probably April before we were figuring out, okay, can we really do this? Um, I'm hoping this year that it's going to be, all of our programming will be done before the end of the year. And I'm in conversations with a lot of really interesting shows. So what we do at Theatre Collingwood is we work with other regional theatre companies and see if we can't help to create a project that will not just be at one theater, that will maybe tour to two or three theaters. The the actors have longer runs and longer contracts, and you know yourself, you create um, a wonderful show, and then it's over in a couple of weeks. So so if we can help to make that happen. So um, we'll continue to do that. And we also have been working with independent artists to help them create uh, their dream projects as well. So I, I think next year we will not be traveling all over the place because we did way too much traveling this year. So we're going to use two venues next year. I think we will just stick to the Simcoe Street Theatre and the Marsh Street Centre. And uh, we'll still have a subscription of um, four plays. And we'll also, in February, we always have a um, what we call the Love Cabaret. And normally, it's people that come in from outside of town. This year, we're going to change it up. I think in February, when the 
traveling is not so great, we're going to focus on our local super talented performers and bring them in this year for the Love Cabaret. So, so that'll be exciting. And before the end of this year, and we will continue to do it next year, is our annual staged reading of a Christmas carol, <laughs> which we do at First Presbyterian Church, and it's a ton of fun. Yes. And uh, it's so fun. It's kind of reminiscent of the old radio shows where, you know, we do, uh, I have a very dear friend of mine who um, does some a little bit of costuming, just a few things to help create the character. And, uh, but the odd top hat and muffler. That's right. That's right. Um, <laughs> and so we have a lot of fun and it's a great way to bring community together. We will stay very, very tuned to your website and we'll include all that information in our show notes so that there's this, you have a lovely newsletter that you send out as well. So people should subscribe to that and we'll put that information so that they can be first out of the gate to hear what you've got planned for Terrific. next season when, when you get to that stage. So we got just a couple more questions to before we wrap up here. So I think I saw something a little something about you getting involved with Gaslight, which is the, the community theater group up in, in Collingwood. So yes. is that something that you personally, Erica Angus, without the theater Collingwood had on? Tell us a little bit about what's uh, what's coming down the pike yes. for you with Gaslight, which is a great group as well. Yes. So, you know, when I first, uh, this is my 10th year of programming for theater Collingwood. So that's, you know, it's been 10 years that I've been there. When I first went to Collingwood, I really didn't know anything about Collingwood, even though I lived in Barrie. I had never been over to Collingwood. I'd been once, once. Yeah. And so I really didn't know about Collingwood. But there was this interesting little community theatre company that sort of rose up once a year. And what they did was they told stories about the town and they were staged in different locations of the town, whether it would be store in stores or in unique buildings or whatever. And so you'd buy a ticket and a tour guide would lead you to the four locations and you'd see four little 20 minute plays. And then there was a tea room. And so I, this was called Gaslight, the Gaslight tour. And I took, I went to it and I thought, this is absolutely amazing. I love it. It's so quaint. And um, I learned so much about the history of Collingwood. And that was just really, really helpful for, for a newbie like, uh, like me. So uh, as it turned out, there were people involved with Gaslight, one person in particular, um, Monica Wilson, who was working for Theatre Collingwood. So I, I learned a lot about Gaslight. And Gaslight is, a, is such a, a neat concept because, um, you know, Collingwood is very lucky to have the iconic Dan Needles living there. Oh, and boy. so Tell me about I always it. feel with Dan that he could kind of stand up and read his shopping list and, and it would be very entertaining. So, um, and for those that don't know, he wrote the Wingfield series and um, uh, he's a very, very clever man. Um, but anyways, he taught um, a script writing course for Gaslight. So people would come in and they'd learn how to write a 20 minute play. And then uh, eventually they would have a, a little competition and four plays would be picked. And this is how they would develop the tour each year. So I kept going on the tour and then they asked me, uh, if I would direct one of those 20-minute uh, plays. And I jumped right in because, you know, I, on a day-to-day -day basis, 
I, I love what I do, but I deal with the business of theater. And there's a lot of pressure and a lot of things I think about that, you know, aren't really about the creative end, but more about the business yeah. end. And Gaslight for me is just getting me back to just doing the fun part of theater for the fun wow. of it. So I've now directed, I think, three times for them. This is either my third or fourth time, um, but their uh, productions are coming up again. And I'm, I'm going to be uh, directing a lovely little, they're all, they're always, um, you know, stories, historic stories about the town. So uh, this year's plays uh, are under the title of unsolved mysteries. Yes. Ooh, so um, I have a really neat play that I'm directing about. Uh, it was written by Janet Wilkinson. It's a, it's a, it's a shipping play. So I've got to figure out how uh -huh. I'm going to create this ship with no money, but <laughs> we'll do it. We'll figure it out. Oh, it's that, so that much is fun. It's awesome. so much fun. And anybody can audition and uh you know, we really have a, a, a great time with it. So I'm really, we, we have our auditions actually on September the 8th. Well, that I think is the day before we go live, but we'll put the gaslight stuff in our show notes. Yeah, there's a, there's a second date for that as well. You know, I just have to say that someone said to me once, um, oh, Erica, you just, you know, you're just interested in uh, professional theater. And I said, I said, or that, you know, maybe I thought professional theater was better than community theater. And I was like, oh my gosh, you've got this so wrong because most people involved in professional theater started in community theater. And it is so important. I just happen to believe that when an artist works their craft and learns their uh, profession, learns their skill, um, that eventually they deserve to be paid for it. But <laughs> that's the end that I'm on. But it all starts with that community theater, and it's so important. It is. It's community theater is is uh, is the is the linchpin. Yeah, and then there's people like me who end up working their career and then end up going back to community theater. So that, that's what I'm I'm sort of involved with right now. The circle of artistic life. So this is our last question we ask this of all of our interviewees to share a remarkable theater memory that you've got. Uh, it's it could be something that you've participated in as either a, a an audience as a as an actor or as you say in your executive director role or something that you've seen. Just something that's really special special to you. So if if you're okay with sharing that, we'd love to hear what that looks like. I for you. think I truly believe this is the hardest question you could have possibly asked me because there are so many, I've been so lucky. And you know what, I'd like to, um, I, I'm going to just say a couple quick things. First, I'm going to say that when I was a young girl growing up in Willowdale, there used to be a program at the Gibson Center where children would be taken there and we'd learn all about the, the olden days and we'd be able to act in that. We'd be able to live through that life, lifestyle. And that was one of the first experiences I had with the magic of, of uh, uh, becoming a different character and, um, and also the importance of empathy because I, I realized that things weren't always as they were for me in, in my life. That had a huge effect on, on me. I also had 
a teacher in grade three, um, I, I went marching in and said, the Jack and Jill magazine is out and there's a play in it. And uh, I'd like to direct it in grade three. Right. And I this teacher said, yes, go ahead, direct this play. And it was a children's magazine, you know, so they would put these scripts yeah. out. Um, those, those instances were, were so important to the development of me as a child and as a, as a person. And, and I really value when parents take the time to introduce their children to, and teachers to, to this art form, because it's not just about becoming an actor or, or uh, seeing the final product. It's, as I say, learning how to have self-confidence, learning how to public speak, learning how to empathize with other people. And so those moments were really important to me. The moment when the Stratford Festival opens and the trumpeters come out, that's had a huge effect on me. Every time I see it, 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 I feel the spirits of all those who have, walked those stages before. Those are really important. Um, If I think of my times with Theatre by the Bay, we had one summer um, where we were doing The Tempest and uh, Ruby Joy, a Canadian actor, had auditioned and Larissa had this idea about, um, wow, her father's Robert Joy from CSI. Yeah. Yeah, he's probably off in the summertime. Wouldn't it be fun if he worked with his daughter and she asked him and he said, yes. And seeing the father and the daughter get an opportunity. And I asked him, like, why would why would you come from New York and come in and do this show? And he said, you know, you do some things because they pay the bills. But when would I ever have an opportunity to perform with my daughter? That was a magical time. Um, Watching Joy Thompson, Bainborough teach children at strolling youth players how to feel comfortable on the stage and how to work together. That was a, an important time oh to me. My. So I'm so sorry. I cannot come up with one. <laughs> I'm delighted that you didn't. I think that at the underpinnings of all of it is, is the sort of the, the, the spirituality of theater and the creative arts and what it does for people's souls. When so much of life these days is quite soul sucking. Yes. It is, it is lovely to be able to turn back to those memories and say, and boy, when I'm having a bad day, I'm going to think about Robert and Ruby Joy lighting it up in the Tempest together. So I'm, I'm going to wrap it up by saying thank you, Erica Angus, Executive Director at Theatre Collingwood, for joining us on Stage Whispers today. And we can't wait to see what you've got coming next, because I know it's going to be something that's going to bring a lot of joy to, to a lot of people's hearts. Well, thank you so much. This has been a joy. Thank you. I'm so glad. We'll see you again. Thanks. Stage Whispers is a podcast created by three Central Ontario friends who love live theatre. And we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at stagewhisperspodcast at gmail.com or message us through our Facebook page, on Twitter at Podcast Stage, or on Instagram at Stage Whispers Podcast. Listen to Stage Whispers on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find fine podcasts.